This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Joel Hilliker. If they can get to our children, they can transform society. Leftist radicals know this, and nothing demonstrates this like the way they're pushing transgenderism on young people. This radical movement is swallowing our educational system. Every week, more disturbing news is emerging of teachers indoctrinating our children with sexually explicit and perverse propaganda that is shaping the way they view sex and the world around them and their own bodies, their own self-identity. We're going to start today's show by looking at a recent article that pulls back the curtain on how these people are destroying a whole generation of our youth. Last September, the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline was sabotaged, and it was unclear who did the deed. Well, a new report by a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist says it was America. Now, this report, whether it's true or not, is being picked up by German leaders as evidence that they cannot trust America. It's yet another factor putting terrific strain on the NATO alliance. In our second segment today, we'll talk with trumpet writer Richard Palmer about this report. Some evidence that it is false, perhaps even deliberate disinformation, and how its after effects could hasten biblical prophecy. Our third segment is a remarkable story about a man who's devoting his life to eliminating mines in Ukraine. Russian soldiers have sowed these deadly devices all over the country, putting many innocent lives at risk. We'll learn about how Ryan Hendrickson is risking his own life to remove these mines in an inspiring report from trumpet writer Jeremiah Jacques. And I'll finish off the program today by answering the question, what does God think of the LGBTQ movement? Let's start by talking about transgenderism in our schools. This is something every one of us must be aware of. We have to work to protect our children. We need to ask God for his help in protecting them. Last week, I read a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking article in the Daily Mail, February 8, 2023, and this article showed just how evil what the transgender movement is doing to our children is. It's titled, What It's Like to Be a Pupil Today as Trans Hysteria Grips Schools, One 14-Year-Old Girl Speaks Out. This girl attends a co-ed state secondary school in southeast England. She says one in ten children in her grade identifies as trans or non-binary. One in ten. This was unheard of just a few years ago. It's spreading rapidly. These numbers are high, and they're, all, they're going up dramatically all the time. And you can tell why when you see what's happening in these schools. Now, this article is talking about a school in Britain, but there's plenty to show that the same thing is happening in the United States. Let me just read some excerpts of this article to you. This girl says, 14 years old, she says, The other day I went to the school office to get a new copy of the timetable, the school schedule. The teacher I spoke to used they-them pronouns about me, asking another member of the staff, They have lost their timetable. Can they have a new one? She writes, he knows me really well, and it's clear that I'm a girl. I felt furious he didn't say she. 
But it's not just the odd teacher here or there. I am regularly asked if I am in the process of transitioning. She says, there is a gender-neutral uniform policy at school, and lots of the girls wear trousers. Those of us that do are often asked if we are transgender, especially if we have short hair, as I do. The fact a girl likes playing video games or doesn't like feminine clothes or makeup is enough to be seen as potentially trans. Think about this happening in a school. Think of a 14-year-old. If you, if you have a 14-year-old in your life, think about a child that age being asked these kinds of questions. This radical movement has already converted society or huge, huge portions of society to their thinking. They have everyone acting like gender dysphoria is so common. Anyone could be experiencing this at any time. This is entirely normal. You really have to be alert be vigilant because, you know, you never know what these kids are thinking. This article continues. When my mom complained about me being called they, the teacher apologized, but explained he was being cautious in case I was transitioning. He said the teachers are treading on eggshells, scared of being labeled transphobic. Transphobic. That's the term they throw at anyone who isn't fully supportive of everything this radical movement does. Now, obviously, in their view, if you believe in biology being the determining factor in sex and gender, you're transphobic. But now they have these teachers going overboard, interpreting any signal a student might be sending. They're finding evidence of transgenderism where none exists. This is a remarkable picture of the toxic climate that the transgender movement has created within the education system. Anything can be labeled transphobic. And people are bending over backwards to show, well, I'm not transphobic, but this movement is never satisfied. They, they'll define transphobia however they want. They force people to comply with their demands. This girl, 14 years old, she writes, it feels like trans is all anyone talks about. The library has a section devoted to LGBTQQIA plus books. And there is a display for pride in the school entrance with rainbow flags and words and terms such as non-binary, polysexual, demi-boy, demi-girl, and pansexual. This is right there in the, the front entrance of the school. These words come up in lessons, too, this girl writes. I'm now in year 10, and the other day a girl in my English class asked if the Greek god Zeus was a man or a woman, and the teacher replied that Zeus could have identified as non-binary. So even the Greek gods uh, uh, could identify as non-binary. More recently, another teacher said Lady Macbeth was, quote, neither a man nor a woman. I think most parents will have no clue this is what their kids are being taught. Can you imagine this? I mean, it's coming into, it doesn't matter what they're studying. They're finding ways to bring a non-binary trash into this. And these kids are asking these questions because they're being presented with these kinds of questions continually. 
And she says, I don't think parents understand this is what kids are being taught. Do you know what your children are being taught in school? This movement is gaining momentum. It, it's soon going to be at a school near you if it's not there already. You have parents that are speaking out at school board meetings about materials that are being promoted and distributed at these public schools in the United States. And it's just horrific, horrific. They're presenting this information to these school boards. The school board members don't want to hear it. You know, they, they'll shut the parents' mics down because they don't want to hear this filth being spoken of in public. And these parents are saying, but you're teaching it to my kids. Many school board members, they're very dismissive of the parents' concerns, and they keep pushing this filth. Now, this girl says if she had said anything at school suggesting that parents should know what students are being taught, she would lose her friends. She says they're completely intolerant of anything they think is transphobic. So she put this article in the Daily Mail anonymously. She didn't put her name on it. She's speaking out because she's fed up and she sees something's terribly wrong and the school is hiding it. Parents don't know about it, but she's too afraid to give her name because of death threats that others have received on social media from students in her school. So think about what's happening here. These kids in schools are tearing each other up, enforcing this perverse moral standard that they learn from the transgender community, from the homosexual community, from this perverse segment of the, this tiny minority of society. And these kids have completely bought into the self-righteous, arrogant attitudes of the left who love claiming moral superiority over other people and condemning other people for any violation of their invented moral codes. This is totally divisive. It's totally toxic. It's fraying social cohesion in our schools and in society in general. It's very important that we recognize what's going on here and see the influence of Satan the devil. What these young people are doing to themselves with the support and even the encouragement of parents and educators and school psychologists and the medical profession, it's so twisted and so devoid of logic and reason and so incomprehensibly unhinged that it proves that there is a God of this world working in people's minds. You can read about this God of this world in Ephesians 2 and verse 2. It is the devil. He preys on children. He hates children. He hates people. He hates family. He hates anything godly. John 8, 44 says he's the father of murder and lies. He's the father of deviance and perversion. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, 11 that we better not be ignorant of his devices or he is going to get an advantage over us. Now, the devil is an accuser. He's a divider. He plays up on the worst aspects of our human nature. He encourages self-righteousness and vanity and sanctimoniousness. He encourages people to devise their own standards of right and wrong. He loves seeing people enforcing those standards with religious zeal while they throw out what's actually right and wrong, the way God defines right and wrong. That's exactly what's happening here. This anti-family, anti-God movement is turning these young people into fanatics 
of a false religion. It's indoctrinating them with this propaganda, and it's turning them into shock troops and crusaders. This girl says they're completely, these, these students are completely intolerant of anything they think is transphobic. That's a horrifying statement of what's happening with these young people. This girl talks about how teens are supporting transgenderism and even becoming transgender basically because they're giving into pressure. She says it feels as if they joined in because it meant that they were seen as cool. You get special treatment if you say you are trans or non-binary and suddenly become the center of attention when you, quote, come out. Now think about just how susceptible teenagers are to peer pressure. They're trying to figure things out. They want to feel included. They want respect. They want to be seen as, as cool. It, it's a perfect storm here, drawing these vulnerable young people into this nightmarish world of gender dysphoria, of trying to defy biology and go against everything that could actually help them live a happy, healthy, normal, productive life. And they're, they're just going along, going along with it. Over 40 years ago, Herbert W. Armstrong wrote this in his book, The Missing Dimension in Sex. Some would hush up the naked facts, but the welfare of our youth is at stake. The adolescents, drifting with the immorality tide, are speeding past their elders in the downward plunge. There is a trend. It is an immoral trend. It is speeding up at accelerated pace. It is only natural for young people to follow the trend. They want to belong. It's time to face the facts squarely. People are like sheep. They all follow the leader to the slaughter. But they don't know they're being led to the slaughter. They're just a little stupid. Yes, quite a little. But they still want to belong. It's natural to just go with the group. Now, he was... Talking 40 years ago, he was talking about things like premarital sex and, and some of the activities that young people were involved in at that time. But wow, how perfectly what he said and just this this expose of the way that human nature works on young minds in particular applies to what's happening with the transgender movement today and our young people today. Again, you can see how the devil is feeding their desire for acceptance and to just go along. And he's playing them like a fiddle. And if parents are not vigilant, if their instruction at home isn't strong enough to counteract that, or if they've bought into the lie that, you know, they need to support their child in these decisions, or if they're cowed by the school or the public officials telling them that if they don't embrace their child's desire to quote unquote transition, then their child will be taken from them. Those parents are totally helpless to prevent this from happening to their own children. And those children are victimized by this perverse movement. Going on in this Daily Mail article, this girl writes, Now out of 200 students in my grade at school, at least 20 say they're trans. Almost all are girls claiming to be boys or non-binary. Although there's one boy saying he's a girl, this really is largely about girls saying they are boys. 
The kids in my year don't say they're lesbian or gay because those words are thought to be an insult. Now, that's really fascinating. I'll talk about that in a moment. But think about this. The, the, the fact that it's girls doing this, what's interesting is very short time ago, no girls did this. And now it's just becoming this avalanche of girls that are, are making this quote-unquote transition. And for anyone to even suggest that there's a social contagion here, that there's peer pressure to, to do this, uh, really brings down the approbation of the, uh, the trans community against them. No, absolutely not. This is absolutely ingrained. This is, by, this is instilled in their minds from birth. But think about this. Now they're saying that lesbian or gay is an insult. This is how far down this bizarre road we've come. As I said, this movement will never be satisfied. You can never fully comply with their standards because their standards are always shifting to something more perverse. We'll talk about this in the last word today, but God calls homosexuality an abomination. But for this movement, lesbian, gay, these are the wrong terms because they're too fixed in the world of sex as a binary concept. You've got to acknowledge gender fluidity to, to be orthodox as far as they're concerned. This girl writes, there is a straight boy going out with a straight girl who says she is trans, so he now has to say that he's bisexual. It's often said by my schoolmates that trans girls are, quote, better girls than other girls. I find this insulting, but the teachers don't take any action, even if they do hear conversations like this. You know, what, what teachers are going to step into that minefield with the climate over these issues being what it is today? She says, there is constant talk of transphobia and bigotry, and many of the students who say they are trans constantly talk about being victims, with anyone who isn't trans being the perpetrator. This is also deeply disturbing and very satanic, this constant talk of victimhood. People being told continually that they are not the source of their own problems. Whatever's wrong in your life, especially if you can claim status as some kind of persecuted minority, well, society is to blame. This entraps people in failure. It's a, the same thing on a on a uh, even more perverse scale is what they're telling people of minorities uh, in different colors, different races, that it's, it's racism, it's society that is bringing you down because it's systemically racist. This, all of this kind of, this kind of uh, message guarantees that people will be unable to improve their own lives because they don't feel any responsibility to correct their own failings. They can just whine and cry about how mistreated they are. In far too many cases, they'll be given exactly what they want. So they don't need to improve their own lives. They just need to complain. Well, that, that is a terrible, terrible message to send to someone if you really want them to succeed in life. This girl writes, My friend Kelly, her name also uh, was changed, was, quote, affirmed. Accepted without question, she writes, as a boy in year seven. She has serious mental health issues and is regularly off school as she self-harms. She's, she's taking time off of school to hurt herself. This is how, how messed up her thinking is. 
She, this girl writes, Kelly socially transitioned without any teacher challenging her. She has a new name, and now she can use the boys' changing rooms. This is criminal that you have students who need help with mental health issues who are being pushed in this direction. This is absolutely 100% going to destroy this girl. This is going to make her problems a thousand times worse. And shame on these educators for sacrificing girls like her to this twisted ideology. This, this author writes, All my friends pretty much believe in, quote, gender identity. Girls and boys are referred to by teachers and students as, quote, assigned female at birth or, quote, assigned male at birth. This is shortened to AFAB and AMAB. The teachers can't say boys and girls. They have to say AMAB or AFAB. Everything is shoved through this weird filter so that it's constantly keeping this, this subject on young people's minds. They should be thinking at school. They should be thinking about math and English and science and history. They should be focusing on their studies. They should be focusing on academic and intellectual development. You know, they should be getting excited about the heroic lessons of history and trying to grow in their capabilities and take on more responsibility and prepare for a productive life of working and creating and giving, contributing to society. All this nonsense about assigned male at birth that is being thrown at them continually, it just pushes all of that aside and and reduces these kids to, like, lab rats in this grotesque experiment it fixates their minds on themselves and on sex and on things that are base and confusing and perverse education should be enlightening their world it should be expanding their horizons and this is just banishing them to darkness it's strangling their future this girl writes i joined the equalities club because I believe in equal rights for all, then found it was impossible to talk about any group other than trans people that was discriminated against. There's a rule against wearing badges in school, but some students wear trans flag and pronoun badges, and nobody tells them off. So this supposedly this group is discriminated against. They're victimized continually in today's society. The reality is... We have rapidly reached the point where they are a privileged class. They get special treatment. They're a protected class. You cannot condemn them. You cannot censure what they're doing at all, or else you'll be accused of transphobia. Here's another amazing section in this article about the hatred that these students are being indoctrinated in. This girl writes, I was told off by a friend who said that not everyone with a cervix is a woman. I didn't want to disagree because I knew what would happen. I would be publicly humiliated. Until now, I've just gone along with most of it. But there are certain things I can't leave alone. For example, I really like J.K. Rowling. You know, this is the famous British author of the Harry Potter books. But she was called a TERF, T-E-R-F, trans-exclusionary radical feminist by a friend who said she was heartbroken to hear that J.K. was, quote, anti-trans. I asked in what way J.K. was transphobic, but this friend couldn't give me an answer. She just said, I hope all TERFs drop dead. 
I was shocked by her anger. She says, there have also been violent comments on social media media toward, quote, transphobes with students from the school threatening to strangle them. Now, I find this so stunning because if there is one thing that this movement brands itself as, it is loving. It's all about love. It's about inclusivity. It's about acceptance, just embracing everyone no matter what. The truth is, it is exactly the opposite. If you don't think exactly the way they tell you to think, they will attack you mercilessly. This is not about love. It encourages violent hatred. It is not about inclusivity. It demands total conformity. It's not about acceptance. It's about coercion. It's about forced compliance. This is a satanic movement, and it's becoming clearer every day. We must be able to recognize the devil's influence. This is, in fact, powerful evidence of a truth that the trumpet has talked a lot about over the course of our 33 years in print, that we are living in a time described in Revelation 12 when Satan and his demons are cast down to this earth. God kicked them out of heaven and confined them here, And he says there in Revelation 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. What woe we suffer when you have teachers who won't use the words he or she. They won't talk about boys or girls to describe a student because they don't want to be called transphobic. What woe when a school library devotes a whole section of books to promote this perverse lifestyle and decorates the entrance of the school to celebrate its acceptance. What woe to schools when we encourage this delusional behavior and we silence or threaten anyone who opposes it. What woe when this is deliberately hidden from parents and parents are shut out of their children's lives. But thank God that Satan has only a short time left to vent his great wrath on humanity. These these problems have become so entrenched, it's hard to see our governments in this world turning this around. Now, we need to be aware, you know, we parents need to protect our own children the best that we possibly can. We cannot afford to simply turn them over to the public school system. But to solve the broad problem, God is going to have to step in and solve this. And he promises that's exactly what he's going to do. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to establish a wonderful worldwide system of education that helps build strong families, that helps every child reach his or her full God-given potential. He's already sowing the seeds of that educational program in his true church today. But we need to pray daily, thy kingdom come. And looking at the realities of what Satan is doing in the world today, what he's doing with our young people, should really increase the urgency and the fervency of that prayer.
This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. Last September, the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline was sabotaged. This is a highly strategic pipeline under the Baltic Sea connecting Russia with Germany providing Germany with much-needed energy. And there was a lot of speculation and argument over who did the deed. Well, a new report by a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist says that it was America that destroyed this pipeline. If that is true, why would they have done it? To talk about this, we have from our office in Britain, trumpet writer Richard Palmer. Hello there. Good afternoon. So first, why is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline so important? So this was the strategic link between Germany and Russia, where basically Germany tied its economic future to Russia. They would become a manufacturing powerhouse fueled with Russian gas. They would potentially even become a downstream hub for other European countries powered by Russian gas. They would have a similar kind of uh, ability to to turn off the gas uh, that Russia has even to potentially bully countries into submission. Uh, that kind of thing. So it was a uh, it was a link between uh, a strategic alliance, really, between Germany and Russia, where a major part of Germany's future depended on Russia. Okay, so when this uh, this pipeline was uh, was sabotaged back in September, there was it was it was unclear who did it. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of accusations flying around. Just remind us of of uh, the the climate around the time that this occurred. Yeah, you had you had this explosion at the time the pipeline was shut down. Germany had put uh, sanctions on Russia. They'd been reducing the amount of gas that they got through uh, Nord Stream One. So there's four literal pipelines in two different projects. So there's Nord Stream One, which is two pipelines. You could call that Nord Stream One A and B, and then there's Nord Stream Two. Nord Stream 2 was finished but never switched on mm-hmm. uh, because of the it was finished right around the time of the Ukraine war. Nord Stream 1 was had been operational for years and was a key gas import for Germany. After the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Germany worked hard to try and wean itself off Russian gas and, and find alternative sources. But it was widely expected that they would probably have to rely on Nord Stream 1 again during the winter. So uh, talk about this this article from Seymour Hirsch that is uh, is putting forward this idea that America was the one behind this. So it claims that there was this um, American plot to destroy the Nord Stream pipeline to go in and uh, use... So there was... a. Uh, NATO has military exercises in the Baltic roughly once a year. There were some annual uh, exercises in the Baltic. The claim was that America used these exercises as cover to go and uh, plant explosive devices on the pipelines, which were then detonated about three months later, allowing enough distance between the the, uh, military exercises and the detonation to avoid suspicion and that America wanted to sever this strategic link between Germany and Russia. This had long been a U.S. interest. You know, Donald Trump had uh, had made sure that the, he'd really he put sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. 
uh, that pretty much brought that whole project to a halt. It was only able to be completed because Joe Biden is much softer as it was Barack Obama before him and lifted those sanctions. Uh, and so he says America was behind this explosion. Maybe you could just talk about why you think that this uh, Seymour Hersh, uh, this this idea in this article does not pass the smell test. So for me, there's a there's a one of the key pieces of evidence just came in the weeks after the September explosion when we found out that actually not all four of these pipelines were destroyed and that actually only three out of the four pipelines was destroyed and one was left operational. And the one that was left operational happened to be Nord Stream 2, this pipeline that was never put in, in place because Germany was refusing to, to, kind of, to, to bend its rules and sign a deal with Russia. So this really put Germany over a barrel. If they wanted to get more oil over the winter, they had to bend those rules. They had to basically violate the rule of law uh, and sign this deal with Russia. So that, I think, really put the emphasis on Russia being the culprit. If America did it to leave one of the Nord Stream 2 pipelines intact, um, I mean, it's possible, but it was uh, incredibly shoddy for a, a, an operation that was supposed to be top secret. Lee Smith had a good article in the tablet today where he kind of brought out some more concerns. He got into some of Seymour Hersh's background where he has a history of publishing pretty anti-American fake false news that has been fed to him by foreign governments, you know, accu accusations of uh, against American soldiers in Iraq that turned out not to be true material that came from Syria's government, you know, kind of your standard left wing anti-American journalist who's very willing to publish anything as long as it makes the U.S. government and the United States look bad. Uh, so I think this does, I don't think it makes his article completely disproven, uh, but I think it does raise a lot of question marks about its accuracy. So if there were uh, foreign agents that were feeding this information to an American journalist to to try to uh, drudge up this theory about what happened. Uh, who might be behind that? Why would uh, why would someone be trying to, say, disparage America's reputation in, in this way? So Lee Smith's analysis is that it's someone close to Biden doing this, that, that it's an attempt to make Biden look strong and decisive. Uh, and uh, you know, if so, I think it's doing a lot of damage to America in an attempt to do that. You have, uh, you know, Russian disinformation has been blamed for so many things recently, uh, but it's been blamed because Russia tells a lot of lies and have a long history of telling lies. Mm -hmm. um, I, and so there is the potential for that. And I think it, it, it gets to the main thing that I want to talk about today, really, which is, you know, in some ways it doesn't really matter whether I think Seymour Hersh is right or wrong. Uh, I think the most important thing to watch here is the reaction in Germany. And there's the potential here for this. If the belief that Germany or that the United States attacked a German pipeline becomes widespread within Germany or within major segments of Germany, you know, we could be seeing a huge explosion in anti-Americanism or, or a revival of some of the trends in anti-Americanism that you saw in Germany and 
pretty much any everywhere around the world during the Cold War. There's already, I think, a lot of people that are willing to believe bad things about America. Mm. Uh, and this is strong ammunition there. So I think there's strong potential. You know, if you look at what has Russia been trying to do with Nord Stream all along, it's about splitting Germany off from the NATO alliance and moving them from the American camp into the Russian camp. And they have people within Germany that are willing to cooperate with that project. And this is a big part of the reason why Germany has been so soft on Ukraine, mm -hmm. where they, you know, they'll, they'll talk a talk, they'll talk about tanks, turns out the tanks won't arrive for a long time, you know, all of these kind of things, because there's people that are fundamentally want to break away from America. Uh, they want to fall to their way as, a, as their own power, and they see a relationship with Russia as the first step towards doing that. And so what Seymour Hersh's piece and this attack in general does is is provide an opportunity to help make that happen. And to, yeah, to really make it widespread, this belief that America is the force for evil and that Germany needs to turn against them. So what evidence are you seeing in Germany of politicians using this information or similar information to uh, to attack this relationship with the United States? So the dynamic with this information is very similar to what it is in the, in the United States, where it's widely circulated, but mainstream media will either put it down, you know, say, it's, say they, they, that it, they don't believe it uh, or not cover it or, at all. But most people have heard about it, especially... Um, uh, I say on, on, on in certain segments of of the political spectrum, and it's the same in Germany. And what you're seeing now is you're seeing people within the alternative for Deutschland on the right, and Die Linke on the left. These two kind of fringe parties coming together and really taking these accusations very seriously. So you had the co-chairman calling for an investigation, and he is saying, well, if America is responsible for this attack that American troops must be kicked out of Germany. And I think there is a lot of potential for this to really resonate with Germans. German security has rested upon the foundation of the United States for the last 80 years. This has been, this has been behind Germany's economic miracle. Germany doesn't have to pay to, for, to defend itself because America's defending it. This has led Germany to pulling all of its efforts into becoming this manufacturing powerhouse, uh, it's it's at the heart of, of, of Germany's survival. And if people believe that America just attacked Germany, that America, that America carried out an attack on a, uh, a German project on the, the sea uh, that was a key part of Germany's energy security, you know, they, they, they would have gotten stabbed in the back by an ally. That is what this accusation is saying. Some are saying that Germany's government would have had to have colluded with this attack. Uh, but regardless, I think the impression is the same. If people believe this, they believe that Germany, that America just attacked Germany. And you could really see that having a major impact in German politics. You see it already. The alternative for Deutschland used to be anti-EU. They were kind of pretty friendly to the UK and America. They were kind of, you know, like Nigel Farage, Germany's Nigel Farage even. For them to have kind of turned around and to be in this almost pro-Russian, anti-American camp is a major turn. And, and the Nord Stream attack isn't the only factor in that. Uh, but I think you're seeing a shift within the fringe of German politics to this anti-American rhetoric. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if as people kind of tell the history of uh, of this time, if this is viewed as a major turning point in Germany's attitude towards America. 
What does Bible prophecy tell us to expect in the uh, America-German relationship? So this talks about America uh, looking at Germany. It, it talks about them being like uh, lovers uh, is the term that is one of the terms the Bible uses. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 23 talks about this relationship where America has complete trust in Germany, where America believes that uh, you know, that Germany really loves them, that that um, Germany really, um, you know, that, that, that they're all on the same side. And I think this is a, also another part of the reason why I kind of have doubts about the Seymour Hirsch piece. Perhaps the biggest reason is I do find it hard to square this idea that Germany, America would have attacked Nord Stream with this lover's dynamic in Bible prophecy. I mean, I, I don't think the Bible prophecy would would completely rule out America. Uh, having attacked this pipeline, but it certainly doesn't seem to fit that dynamic. And so God says that America, they, they trust Germany instead of trusting God. And the Bible betray, forecasts, forecasts a double cross. They're stabbed in the back with a great amount of fury from Germany. There is a, uh, a ferocious assault that America doesn't see coming. You know, where does that fury come from? Well, perhaps thinking that they've been stabbed in the back uh, and that they've been wronged by America could provide some of that fury, some of that vehemence. And we've talked about as well this that they'll, that Germany will work with Russia in order to do that. There are prophecies that talk about an economic alliance that includes Germany and, and Russia and China that work against the United States. And so that you can really see how this belief that Germany has been attacked could could play strongly into the fulfillment of that prophecy. Definitely an important prophecy to keep our eyes on. We've been talking with trumpet writer Richard Palmer about this uh, Cy Hirsch article saying that it was America behind the sabotage of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline last September. He's working on an article about this. You can watch for that on thetrumpet.com. It should be up there today or tomorrow. Uh, we'll also put a link in our show notes to an article that he wrote back in 2018, the August 2018 Trumpet Edition, Europe and America. They've lost that loving feeling that goes more into more depth about this specific prophecy about what to expect in the transatlantic relationship. Thanks so much for your time, Mr. Palmer. Great to be here. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Would you be willing to risk dying to protect an innocent person? That's a question that one man is answering yes to every day in the dangerous environment of the Ukraine war, as we will now hear in this report from Jeremiah Jacques. It's been just shy of a year now since tens of thousands of Russian troops first crossed the borders into Ukraine and began a brutal attempt to conquer the country by force. The task ended up proving far more arduous than the Russians had expected it to be, and in many Ukrainian regions, the Russians had to retreat. They were just too poorly organized and ill-equipped, so thousands of them turned tail and fled back into Russia. But before they did, in areas such as Bucha, Irpin, Izum, and Kharkiv, the Russians planted thousands of landmines. 
They placed these any place where they imagined they could be destructive. These, of course, are explosive devices designed to maim or kill anyone who touches them. There's an article up on thetrumpet.com by Mr. Richard Palmer about some of the specific places that mines were found in the Ukrainian city of Bucha. This article shows that the Russians often rigged the bodies of Ukrainians who they had killed with mines. That way, when family members come along to collect their dead, they instead join them in death. The Russians also hid mines in houses and public locations of all kinds, even including, in a twist of just sheer evil, playgrounds. The article states, What possible military reason is there for mining a playground? It'll be a long time before these places are safe to live in again. And until then, the list of Ukrainian victims will only grow. End quote. The Russians also mined acre after acre of farmland. This is farmland that approximately 13 million Ukrainians depend on for their livelihood and for their sustenance. So this means much of the world-famous Ukrainian breadbasket has been turned into killing fields. Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shymhal spoke about the big picture of all these mines in an interview with Jan Hap News on January 9th. He said, The area of mined territory is larger than the entire Korean peninsula. It's currently the largest minefield in the world. End quote. So this is an utterly evil tactic that the Russians are using. And as our Trumpet.com article says, it means that long after the Russians retreat from a given area, the number of victims in that area continues to grow. But there is an individual who is waging war against these Russian landmines, and he is slowly, one day at a time, winning this war. This man's name is Ryan Hendrickson. He's an American, and he served in the U.S. military for 22 years, in the Navy, the Air Force, and then the Army. And over half of that time, he spent as a Special Forces Green Beret engineer, where his primary job was locating and neutralizing improvised explosive devices, or IEDs. In 2010, Hendrickson was on a clearing operation in Afghanistan when he took a step that would change his life. A live IED detonated underfoot, and seven pounds worth of explosives blew his right leg to tatters. By the time his crew got him to a medevac helicopter, Hendrickson had lost so much blood that his fellow soldiers were sure they would never see him again. But the medical professionals were able to stabilize him and eventually get him home to the U.S., where surgeons gave him a 10 to 15% chance of salvaging use of his leg. Even a year or two earlier, this would have been 0%, but new methods had been developed that they hoped would accomplish the impossible. So Hendrickson underwent 28 surgeries. They were so numerous and painful that he often wished the shredded leg would have just been amputated. But his leg was eventually salvaged, though he describes it even after years of rehabilitation as meatloaf-looking. And after that, he spent months slowly learning to walk again. 
And Hendrickson then did something that few who had suffered such agony would have considered. He returned to Afghanistan for not just one more deployment, but seven more deployments. And for each one, he remained focused on locating and neutralizing those diabolical devices that had caused him so much suffering. On his website, Hendrickson discusses what motivated him to return to such dangerous conditions, even after he had personally suffered so terribly. He writes, I went back so I could do everything in my power to ensure that my teammates and my Afghan counterparts never had to go through that pain. End quote. Hendrickson spent eight more years risking his life again and again in an effort to spare others what he had suffered. And he kept on learning more about the intricacies of how to neutralize those perverse weapons. He wrote, I learned from the best. The Taliban, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda are masters at using explosives to target, injure, and kill Americans. I spent eight deployments finding and destroying IEDs. My schoolhouse was Afghanistan. End quote. Hendrickson was given several notable awards for his exemplary service, including four Bronze Stars, the Silver Star, a Purple Heart, and an Army Commendation Medal with Valor, and also the Frederick Award. And then in January of 2020, as a Green Beret ranked E7, he retired from the Army. But then about two years later, when Russia waged that full-scale war on Ukraine, Hendrickson felt that he needed to help the victims. So he quit his job as a government contractor, and he arrived in Ukraine in mid-March of 2022. And here's what he writes on his website. From Bucha, Irpin, Kharkiv, Severodonetsk, and other dangerous locations, I saw a cruel reality of war, injuring and killing civilians daily. And then he says that a huge part of that injuring and killing was from landmines and booby traps. In many cases, even though the Ukrainians know that their land is riddled with mines, circumstances compel them to walk out into the danger. Hendrickson writes, Ukrainians have been driven by desperation to enter known minefields to fish, gather food, or collect firewood, only to be injured or killed by mines. Farmers working their fields hit landmines in their tractors as they cultivate the ground, and ranchers as they're grazing their livestock. And then he continues a little further down. I knew I had so much experience from my time in Afghanistan with a mine detector, and I felt like I could be helping these innocent people who were stuck in the middle of the war. And so that's what Hendrickson has spent several of the last 10 or 11 months doing. He organizes missions with Ukrainian volunteers, and they travel to heavily mined areas, and the process, though insanely high risk, is relatively straightforward. Sometimes local farmers or other civilians will tell them where unexploded ordnance has been spotted. Or in other cases, Hendrickson's team may just begin sweeping with metal detectors and wait to hear the beeps. Once one mine has been located, the task gets easier. Hendrickson writes, They usually run them in patterns for the best effects, whether linear or horizontal patterns. Once you find that one, then it's game on. You follow the lines until you run out. Then you move on to the next one. 
end quote. So after a given field or other location has been cleared, Hendrickson's team conducts a controlled detonation. And then the Ukrainians in that area can start to rebuild their lives again without having to live in fear of their next step. And Hendrickson can then proceed on to the next potential killing field. Then the next, and then the next. He told the trumpet on January 16th that he has so far found and dismantled 450 mines. The best estimates say it could take up to 10 years to fully demine Ukraine, so the scale of the task is immense. But Hendrickson is not daunted or discouraged. It's incredibly dangerous and high-stakes work, but he has the expertise, expertise that came at a huge cost to him, and he is determined to use it now to fight back against Russia's evil. In a recent interview with K2 News, he said, If I can save anyone that pain and the life-changing events from stepping on an explosive device, if I can save anyone, especially a child, then it's all worth it for me. Ryan Hendrickson's willingness to risk it all for others in the best traditions of the human spirit brings to mind the words of the Savior of mankind. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's time for today's Last Word. What does God think of LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning or queer? Some say he supports them. After all, didn't Jesus Christ teach that you should love everyone? Others say God condemns them. It's a volatile subject, but as Christians, we really should be concerned with what God says and yet there's actually a lot of disagreement over what the Bible says on this subject. Consider two scriptures in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Chapter 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Some say these verses are a product of an ancient culture. They don't reflect God's thinking. One pro-homosexual religious website explains that for modern Christians to consider these verses, quote, criteria for ethical and moral decision-making would be naive at best, heresy at worst. The priests used the tools of knowledge at their disposal, just as we are required to use the tools of knowledge available to us. Today, we can benefit from thousands of years of learning. Now, do you believe that it can be heresy to follow Scripture or to believe that the Bible, even the Old Testament, actually reflects God's thinking? Can the Bible be trusted or not? Is it God's word or not? 
those who apologize for homosexuality, they abound with statements that mitigate the authority of Scripture. Every biblical statement against homosexuality is passed off as being mistranslated or misunderstood or no longer relevant. For example, the Apostle Paul's condemnations of homosexuality in Romans 1, verses 24 to 28, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. These are all dismissed as being unclear or mere statements of personal preference. The question is, why go to the trouble to explain away all these passages of Scripture if your intent is just to believe what you want to believe, no matter what the Bible says? As further proof, quote-unquote, that God permits homosexuality, these scholars note that Jesus Christ never personally condemned it, but they overlook his statement in Matthew 4 and verse 4 that we should live by every word of God. Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? So Jesus is taking us right back to the beginning, to the creation of human beings. God made a male and a female, and he joined them in marriage. He created the pattern for all mankind to follow. But the way that society today thinks about sex and gender, God's decision to create two sexes was arbitrary. It didn't serve any real purpose. Now, God gave the seventh commandment to protect marriage and family. That says you shall not commit adultery. And there are several related laws that amplify this commandment in defining sexual morality. Those verses in Leviticus that we read provide God's view on homosexuality. God also gave specific prohibitions against lustful thinking, against premarital sex, cross-dressing, rape, all forms of incest, bestiality. These are not new acts. People have been doing these things for millennia, but God is clear. He wants the sexual relationship which he designed to be shared only between husband and wife. Now, there are reasons God's word warns against these practices. What happens if a person breaks these laws? Well, they deprive themselves of blessings that God wants to give them. Studies show that depression and suicide are many times higher among the LGBTQ population than in the general populace, and people want to blame an intolerant society but the fact is, society is growing very tolerant, even encouraging of that behavior, and those numbers aren't changing. God doesn't want his creation to suffer. He wants us to be blessed, happy, and healthy. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So what does God think when people turn their backs on the blessings he wants to give? As a loving father, he pleads with people to change, to turn to obeying him. In Matthew 4, 17, Christ said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent of what? Well, God wants all of us to repent of sin. Sin is the breaking of God's laws. Repentance means change to the way so that we can be blessed in this life and ultimately in his kingdom. 
First Timothy 2, 4 says, God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So what does God think of LGBTQ? He wants them to come to the knowledge of his truth. He wants them to learn about how he created family. He wants them to understand that the physical family is an exact type of the God family. And he wants them to live his way and experience all the joys and blessings that come from following his laws. God the Father and Jesus Christ love all people dearly. That's why Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. But Christ also taught repentance, which is turning away from sin and following God's wonderful laws. There are some people who want to change from the LGBTQ lifestyle, but feel that they can't. God reminds us that with his help, all things are possible. Notice this encouraging admonition in Ezekiel 18, verse 27. When the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he's committed and does that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. All sin can be conquered with God's help. If you want more understanding on this vital subject, request our free books, The Missing Dimension in Sex, and redefining family. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to my guests, Richard Palmer and Jeremiah Jacques. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Jesse Hester for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Thomas Fuller. All things are difficult before they are easy. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.